Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in verse 9. Paul's just going through a lot of struggles, and he's pleading with, with God. He's pleading with the Lord, just saying, man, please deliver me from this. I, I, just, I just want to be delivered from this situation, whatever he's struggling with. To me, it really doesn't matter what the struggle is, but the reality is, is he really wants deliverance from this. And he said to me, this is Jesus now speaking to Paul in verse 9 in red. You'll see it if you have a red letter edition. But my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't you see that with David? David's in a place where he's not even supposed to be. God did not send him. He's in a place he's not even supposed to be. He's about to go to battle against his own people and at that willingly. Somewhat he's entrapped himself to some extent. But then all of a sudden, because he really does have a heart for the Lord, even in his own stupidity and lying and conniving and everything that's got him in this spot, the Lord just kind of swoops in out of his grace and his mercy. Because that's what grace is, unmerited love and favor. Did David do anything to merit that in this situation? Certainly not. You know, this is treasonous, obviously, right? This is a horrible situation. But God swoops in in his grace, lovingly, going to really deal with this thing. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Basically, all Paul is saying is when you're at the end of you is really where you and I are going to find the most strength that we could ever have. I think David, not even knowingly, is kind of in this situation. God is at work. God's moving. This whole thing that started all of it to begin with is now being used by God for good. You know, I think one of the things that makes the biggest statement of, of really true trust See, I think there's an interesting thing as, as Christians, as we're following the Lord. It's, we give our lives to Jesus, we, we get saved. You know, so that's the beginning of it. We're born again. We have this new life in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's wonderful. It's a great thing. You know, uh, things, we're seeing things different. We're kind of looking at things differently. All that's true. There's this other, you know, as you kind of grow and you start to mature and you get to develop. The thing is, is to me, this phase that I'm about to talk about right now, it just doesn't end though. This phase doesn't end until we get onto the other side. So there's this initial phase, however, whatever duration of time that is. Man, we've been born again. We're seeing things in a different light. You know, maybe for some people say, hey, man, that was three months. For some people, they may say it was six months. Hey, man, I've just, you know, been on a honeymoon with the Lord forever. You know what? Awesome. But there are those times where all of a sudden God allows it to become a little more difficult. Why? Because you have to exercise your faith. And faith is trusting God. If you don't exercise your faith, you don't really grow. You don't really mature. So you have to exercise. If it's difficult, you know, now you're starting to exercise that because of the difficulty. You're going to now, here's a great example of really trust. 
No longer just hearing about the things of God, but you know, it's one thing we get together, we talk about it in a Bible study and it all sounds good, but all of a sudden when we're confronted with a situation where, man, I've got to trust God in this. It's a totally different thing. Now it's not textbook anymore, you see. Now it's lifestyle, it's application. This needs to be real to me. Do I trust God? Can I count on God to take care of this situation? Or do I need to rush in and deal with it all myself? And how many would say that went very well? Anytime you rush in to try and deal with yourself, it usually turns to bad quickly. It doesn't go well. Because we have finite, limited resources and abilities in comparison to God's vast capacity to, ma- to handle matters on our behalf. We want to trust the Lord. So much of this speaks not of David's faithfulness. Is there anything in chapter 29 that speaks to you about David's faithfulness? None of this speaks about David's faithfulness. This is all his failure. But what it does speak about to me and to you is God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. That God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows our heart. That God knows that and that God will be faithful. I think it's just so great how even though David wants to do this really horrible thing in going again in battle against his own people of Israel, God steps in and intervenes. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it talks about the Lord searches to and fro throughout the earth, looking for just one man whose heart really is for the Lord. And we know that David was that kind of man, don't we? We know that. And so we kind of, kind of testifies of the reality of that scripture, that God searches the earth for just one, even just one person. And then God will show himself faithful on that person's behalf. That's a good scripture to remember. God's looking for us as we're looking for the Lord. God's going to meet us at those places. And God will show himself faithful to us. You and I, we can trust the Lord. Psalm 56, which is kind of fun that we have these, uh, that we can go to in, in, in these and, and locate these scriptures this is the, a script, uh, psalm that David had written during this exact time when that was happening, Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I will put my trust See how he's talking about where he's going now? See, this situation has brought him. Man, he can't go, he can't, he's a warrior and he can't go to battle. He's just frustrated, you know. Go home, you know, just go home. You're not playing, playing tonight, you know. You just go home. You know, it's just that kind of, a, he just goes. And this is what he writes as he's reaching back out toward God. But this is the beginning of good things. He got to the end of himself, guys. God was gracious with him, and he got to the end of himself. This is good. He was at the end of himself. God swooped in in his grace and met him right where he's at, and now he's penning this. So what's his focus now? It's shifted back toward the Lord. Remember how we left off last week? We left off, hey, don't interfere. Don't interfere. Too often we interfere when God's about to move. We swoop in to try and help and do these things, and we're 
violating, really, in certain ways, what God's wanting to do oftentimes. Man, but David, in this situation, he didn't go to the witch at Endor. He didn't have the witch at Endor bringing food. He didn't have any of those things happening, did he? He just was sent home. And now he's reaching back. He's at the end of himself. He doesn't even know it yet. He's just in the beginning of discovery that God swooped in. He doesn't know that. He's not quite aware of that. But he's starting to realize that he says, I'll put my trust in you. I, I see all this going on around me. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words and their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. And when they lie and wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity in anger cast down the peoples, uh, O oh God, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And when I cry out to you, when my enemies will turn, turn back, this I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his, his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will, ren re I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have not kept my feet from falling. That I may walk before the God in the light of the living. So, interesting. Now, he's kind of gone into this kind of a contemplation. At this point in time. Right here, as we head in now to chapter 30, just for a few verses, uh, to just kind of get a little further insight in this. Remember, God's using what Satan meant for evil, turning it to good. God's preventing him. Man, the, the God at work, the, the sovereignty of God as he's moving in the background and, and he just kind of is caring for things and watching out over. And Man, I just wonder what things that are going on that we just don't even, aren't even aware of how good God's being toward us, you know, really, and uh, caring for us. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. So a little bit of a travel. They got back up to uh, home turf again now. They're back in Ziklag. And the Amalekites had invaded the south and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And you remember the Amalekites, that type of the flesh, that thing that there's always going to be warring with. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and, and went their way. They get back home, basically, and everybody's gone. They've burned their homes, they've burned everything to the ground, and they've taken all the, the women and kids, and they're, they're gone. So now, think of this. David's come back with his 600 guys. And all of his guys are looking at him just going, dude, are you kidding me? You know, our wives are all gone. Our kids are all gone. Everything's burned. Now what do they have? Exactly. A goose egg. Zero. They don't even have a goose egg. It's over. They've got nothing. They're just back to zero. Now, this is what happens when, you know, what did David do? He kind of took a hiatus from God and went back to the world, basically connected up with the Philistines, hung out there in Ziklag, kind of built himself, kind of made themselves at home in the world. You, this is the thing. It seems okay for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they're wanting you to partner with them and go to battle on their end. And, oh, yeah, it all sounds good. And then, you know, all of a sudden now, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That didn't work out. God intervened. He starts turning his heart back to the Lord. He's turning, as he's writing this, he's turning his heart back to the Lord and gets back to this. 
Have you ever been in a situation like that? God, what happened? I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to follow you with my whole heart. And what is going on? Why does this happen now? Why did that happen? Why is that situation strained and this circumstance gone bad? Why has this happened, God? That's real life. It doesn't always go just awesome and perfect in that sense. But who's God? If God's for us, who could be against us? Is, is, is God the house? Is God the wife and the kids? Is God, what is God? Is God all the toys that got burned up in the garage? Who's God? God's still there. David's repenting all this stuff, tr- saying, yeah, I trust you. He comes back. And now there's always that, isn't it? There's this learning, hearing from God, and then there's going to be the exam, Right? God hasn't changed, whether it's through his son Jesus or through his spirit's work in the scriptures this way. In David's life, his spirit hasn't changed, has it? You learn about something, and then there's the exam, right? Teaching, testing, teaching, testing. It just, that's the way it works. So when we learn these things, be prepared. You know, there's probably going to be some little exams to take here and along the way, and that's okay. It's part of it because that's how what? Our faith builds, right? That's how your faith builds. That's how my faith builds. You see, yours and my faith doesn't really build from just watching a miracle take place. It's awesome. It's great. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's good. We're blessed by it. But that really isn't how your faith is built. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's by really hearing God and moving forward in trusting him. You don't hear anything, what's there to build on? You hear something from the Lord, now you take action on it, now you're going to start growing because there's going to be a challenge to this. So David and his men came in verse 3 to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Pretty upsetting. Something to be distraught about, no doubt about it. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. They just cried out to God. You know, everything's gone. Everything's gone. You know, it's interesting when we were going back and forth. Uh, man, I, I mean, I just, I've seen a lot of this in a lot of different times. I, 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 don't, I just end up in these situations where I'm around this stuff. But what do you really say to somebody when everything they own just got completely leveled. It's gone. I mean, what do you say? What do you say when you're standing there on their foundation on the other side of the world and the tsunami just washed their everything they owned? It's gone. It's out to sea. It's just gone. What do you say? I mean, this is it. A lot of times you just stand there and you just look at them and they well up and you well up and you cry with them, man. I'm sorry for your loss. This is horrible. It's just horrible. You know, you get in these things, and, and, and initially you think you're Mr. Answer Guy or Mr. Answer Gal, and you got all this, you know, hey, well, we'll just pray about it, and we'll, you know, I mean, it's just like, hey, man, that's so good. You want to pray with them. I'm all for all that. Man, you know what? Sometimes you just got to stand there, and you, you put your arm around these people, and you love on them, and you just cry with them. 
There's just not much to say. There's a lot of circumstances in life I found that are like that. These guys are in that spot. There's just nothing to say. There's nothing to do. They just lift up their voices and they wept. It's everything's gone. Everything is gone. Gone. It's done. Leaves a lot of question marks floating around your head. What have we been doing? Was it worth it? What is this all about? Who is our leader? Why are we trusting him? You know, there's a lot of things start rolling around your head. Look at what it says. Until they had no more power to weep. I'd written in uh, my little margin note. And this is from quite a while back. I, I don't really know where exactly this is from, but it says, um, and there is no more power to weep. Tears are the blood of the soul. They just bled out. They're just, they're just, in other words, they're completely distraught. I've been in those spots where I've been so grieved in, in situations. It's just, I can't even cry anymore. I want to, and I can't even cry anymore. I just cried out. You guys know what happens. You just cried out. That's what happened to these guys. They're just, they're just wiped out. They're so bummed. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, uh, the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So, I mean, it wasn't, there was no exceptions. Everybody lost everything, David included. Now, David was greatly distressed. But why was David greatly distressed? Later on in verse 6, what does it say? It says, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Now, this is where we take a turn. This is where it gets important. This is what really matters. If you haven't tuned in to anything else, tune in now because this is where it gets important. We've seen David talking with himself, taking counsel from himself. Didn't go so good. We see what Saul did. Saul went and found, sought counsel from the dark side, went horrible. And now here in this latter part of verse six, what did David do? Even though his all, every, where's he gonna go now? He can't, he can't go talk to his friends. They're not his friends right now. They're, they're mad at him. They're upset with him. Who's he going to talk to? What's he going to do? What does it say that he did? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Some versions you might find, some versions may say encouraged himself. You just have to, but, but the same thing, encouraged, strengthened, whatever. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He went back to God's faithfulness. He went back to God's goodness. He went back to that place of Psalm 56 that we just read. He went back to that thought process. God, you've always been faithful. You've always taken care of me. You've never left me. The first thing we see, because it kind of goes on as we read through this. Let me read through this real quickly. We'll make a couple of points and we'll close out tonight. Lots of good stuff to think on. In verse 7 it says, Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Now he's wanting to discern, you know, the leading of the Lord. So he brings the ephod over. One of the ways they used to discern the leading of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. God answered back, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. So David went, and he had 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those uh, stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, and 400 men for 200 stayed behind. 
who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Something they were just too wiped out. You know, all the emotional drain. They'd been on the road three days prior to that. They got home. You know, just, it was just too much. It just were spent. So a couple hundred guys just stayed back there uh, with whatever they had, whatever the s- stuff that they had. But I want you to notice something that God told him would take place. In verse 8, it says, And without fail, you would recover what? All. Who is it that took this from them? Who was it? The Malachites is the ones that took this from them. A type of the flesh. The enemy working through the flesh. The enemy at work taking and robbing, came to rob, kill, and destroy. But you can recover. You can recover those things. You remember how the Bible says that God will restore that which the, the years that the cankerworm had eaten away? This is that kind of truth playing out for us in, in real life, you know, as we watch it work through and see what's happening and how, how David dealt with this situation. Because the desire is to recover, get back that which Satan has tried to rip us off for so many times. But how did that take place? And I, I think this is just a couple of little thoughts here. The first thing we find is that latter part of verse 6. Where, where did David go to get strength this time? Where did he go to get encouraged? He went back to the Lord. He didn't strengthen himself within his own mind, trusting himself, did he? He didn't go like Saul did to the medium. He went to the Lord. Where should you and I go? Where should we go? Just to God. We should simply just go to God. You and I, we want to regain. I think we should want to regain that which the enemy would try and rip us off for. I'm telling you, we're sitting in a group, and this isn't a super large group, but I guarantee you there are family members, close family members, that without repentance, without getting right with Jesus Christ, will perish. Will perish forever and ever and ever apart from repentance. That's serious business, man. That's a deep concern. That's Satan wanting to rip them off, right? I would want to recover that. Satan's not my friend. The world's not my friend. My flesh isn't my friend. I'm supposed to, the Bible says to each of us, we are to crucify it with its passions and desires. Not pamper it, not pacify, crucify. Absolutely, utterly destroy it. The Bible says that's been done on the cross if we will but appropriate that truth in our hearts. We will receive that into our lives and walk in that newness of life not obeying its lusts and desires any longer. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what's said. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the message I know that God is doing a work in your life. I know that as you hear his word, he's doing something in your heart, and he wants to begin that good work in your life, as he's done in many of our lives, and he wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe some of you are just carrying that weight of sin, and you just want to be forgiven. Well, God wants to forgive you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
God loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer of faith and begin this new journey with Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and God will forgive you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. You know exactly where I've been and what's been going on in my life, and I want to begin a new life in you. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior, and that I would begin this new journey with you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live a life that would please you and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains. Let's go.